When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to Basketball Conference, the ACC Football Podcast. My name's Joey Weaver. He is Mike McDaniel. Mike, our season previews roll on tonight. We welcome back a, a wonderful guest, one of my favorites, extremely knowledgeable about my Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets. We'll talk about him here in just a second. But first off, how are you? Are you ready to talk Georgia Tech? Drinking a coffee. Yeah, as, as one does, you know, 10 o'clock at night here as, as we record this. Gotta gotta stay ready. Always stay ready. Yeah. Don't have to get ready if you stay ready, Mike. That's what they say. That's right. So that's right. So that's what I'm doing. So I <laughs> drank a coffee. We just recorded our Georgia Tech preview, and it was time for me to drink coffee because we got another preview we're recording tonight, and it's almost eleven o'clock. So gotta gotta stay ready, Joey. That's right. That's right. Siri staying ready on my end, by the way, as you can tell. Um, so that's yeah. that's good. Yeah, it was good. Um, Jeff Collins would certainly appreciate the uh, don't get ready, stay ready mentality. That, that's right up his alley, too. So we're yeah. already on brand here for the night, Mike. Above the line, baby. Above that line. Uh, Mike, we, we welcome back Mr. Kelly Quinlan. Uh, he helped us preview a team last year, and I, and I can't remember. It might have even been in years past before that. Um, but he he runs the rival site for Georgia Tech. He's extremely knowledgeable about this program. Um, has great relationships with the coaching staff, very tied into the recruiting that goes on. So really everything soup to nuts from recruiting through game prep, game execution and everything. Georgia Tech football. Kelly knows all about it. And you'll you'll hear him talk about this, you know, really a lot through this interview. So um, without any further ado, Mike, let's go ahead and talk uh, and we'll get to our discussion with Kelly Quinlan previewing Georgia Tech's 2020 season. Go ahead. Take a listen. All right, Mike, we now welcome back friend of the show and one of the absolute best that I've, I've ever come across in terms of covering Georgia Tech and knowing the ins and outs of that program. Mr. Kelly Quinlan of JacketsOnline.com on the Rivals Network joins the program once again. Kelly, it's been too long. How are you doing, sir? Are you hanging in there with all the quarantine and all that? Trying to, to keep uh, my mask on and keep myself uh, away from groups of people that might be sketchy. So. Other than that, doing okay. Well, you said it all. That's that's all we can ask of you, Kelly. <laughs> well, we, we we appreciate you joining on here, uh, coming back to talk about Georgia Tech going into 2020. And I know that you came on uh, last year for sure, talking about the team going into 2019. And there were uh, there was a lot of change afoot. We'll say Paul Johnson retires after I forget what it was, like 11 years on on the flats. Um, replaced by Jeff Collins. Uh, so Collins comes into year two now, having gone three and nine last year with a couple of fairly high peaks and a couple of fairly low valleys, we'll say. Um, but it was a year that a lot of people would term as a year zero, where there's basically just no expectations in the way of win-loss and really just want to make sure you look better in game 11 and 12 than you did in games one and two. Um, 
I, I, I guess, do you feel like there's any extra expectation beyond that again this year? Or do you, is this another kind of throwaway year? And just really, how do you feel like this hire is being accepted by the fan base so far coming off a, a very different stretch with a very different style and a very different coach in Paul Johnson there for the previous decade plus? I think Jeff's done a tremendous job of engaging the fan base, kind of being front and center about what their kind of long-term plan is, that it is a, a transition from what they were doing. It's a transition in even the types of bodies they're recruiting. Uh, clearly, offensive lines a lot different. Defensive lines a lot different, too, because they went from basically running three different defensive schemes in three years to, to what Jeff's doing now. And they want to get longer and and, and – taller on defense and on the offensive line, get bigger and taller. And they're starting to make those things happen. I think last year, you know, the defense was kind of in a tough spot. They had lost all these defensive tackles and defensive linemen from the previous year. They had been really productive players and had basically guys who were pretty green getting thrown into the mix, especially after Brandon died um, before the season, sorry, Brandon Adams. And so you, you just had this weird season and, um, the offense was terrible. I mean, there's no kind of way to mask it. it. It was really very much kind of occasional home runs and occasional sustained drives, but really just a lot of punting. They uh, Presley Harvin, their punter, pre- punted more times last year than he did his first two seasons at Georgia Tech total. And he set a retire record for the most punts in a game at Georgia Tech, or he may have said, I forget which. Either way, it was just an ugly thing. And I think Henry, this weird season, this kind of uh, chopped up season with the coach killer schedule that kind of got modified, I think that fans want to see the offense look better. I think that will go a long way. I think seeing some disruptive plays on defense again, stacks being up would be a key thing that I think a lot of fans are also looking for. So those kinds of things are the, the signs of progress, right? I don't know that playing a league-only schedule with one non-conference game against the top 25 team in UCF is really going to bring yourself to six wins. I mean, I think, you know, they could easily be back in the two, three, four win category and still have a much better team this year than that a year ago. So I think fans are being somewhat patient. I think some of them are a little overly optimistic because they get sucked into the, the positiveness and the hype and stuff for the coaches. And I think some are, a little more kind of cautious after not being super impressed with the offense and the quarterback play last year. So to me, I think there's a lot of big questions um, when you look at this, this team going forward. But to me, uh, the way I look at this from Jeff Collins, and I think the way a lot of coaches are looking at this is this is sort of on house money right now to use gambling parlance. Like you, you, you don't know what the season's going to look like. You don't know how many games you're going to play. Just roll the dice, play your kids, play the guys you're interested in finding out stuff about. You know, don't necessarily shortcut your seniors, but I think this is an opportunity for a lot of guys to see the field and get some um, experience and kind of learn more about what Jeff Collins want this, wants this program to look like long-term, what the vision is, versus last year when they were just kind of hodgepodging it together. Kelly, you touched on this briefly, um, but are we any closer to figuring out what the offense is going to look like or what Jeff Collins really wants it to look like? I feel like a year ago, as you talked about in the preview on this podcast, you mentioned that you know the offense was probably going to look like a hodgepodge of a lot of stuff, and that's pretty much what we got. 
and I it, it wasn't good at times. And I'm curious, you know, what do you think this is going to look like eventually? Do you think we get any closer to the end goal of what Jeff Collins wants this offense to be this year and year two? I think you'll start to see a little more of it. The offensive line piece was such a a big part of it, along with the quarterback play. They just really were decimated by injuries. You had Kenny Cooper playing on a bad hip most of the season for the first four games, and he gets shut down as your starting center, Remington Award, not a watch list guy in the preseason, a former All ACC guy. And Jay Zaliga's down in game four. I mean, they just they were decimated with injuries. Charlie Clark, an offensive tackle, went down like in the second game of the season. They they just had no depth, had no um, real kind of gelling there. And then the quarterback play was just terrible. Uh, Tobias Oliver struggled throwing football. Lucas Johnson just was not comfortable out there, didn't look like himself. And then James Graham was just this raw freshman kind of just swinging the ball around, didn't set his feet in the pocket, wasn't going through his progressions well, couldn't really necessarily always set his feet in the pocket anyways. The offense um, – it sort of seemed to have like a game plan each week and then really couldn't or either Patno, Dave Patno, the offense coordinator wasn't comfortable or they just weren't really capable of uh, adjusting on the fly. Right. One of the things that made Paul Johnson such a great football coach, Ralph Regan, the offense coordinator in the late nineties at Georgia tech was their ability to make in-game adjustments. Right. When the defense showed them certain things or shut down things they thought were going to work in games, they could go in and, tweak things, tweak the run game, tweak the pass game, put little wrinkles in and stuff. And this really, I don't think they were capable of doing that last year. So I, I'll be real curious to see this year if, if uh, you know, even if it's two freshmen playing quarterback or, you know, Yates, J, uh, Jordan Yates or James Graham, whoever it is they trot out there, if they're a little more comfortable making those adjustments, being a little bit more um, flexible in terms of their offense, what it looks like in the long run. I think it looks like a lot of the spread teams you see, even if you watched, you know, Central Arkansas play or whatever, a lot of those teams, they all have sort of similar concepts um, in the pistol and the gun, you know, multiple backs sometimes, multiple looks, 21, 11 personnel, all kinds of different stuff. And that's what you're going to see. It's, you know, quick passing, deep passes, play action, uh, you know, re-option stuff, um, a lot of zone running, all kinds of different concepts they run and running them at tempo last year, they played with no tempo at all because they were just really struggling just to get, you know, plays off. I think this year you will see the tempo return that really adds a little bit of an element to the offense as well. So all in all, I think it's a big year if you're Dave Padner, I think you really got to kind of prove yourself with these young quarterbacks that you picked out and, you know, kind of show some real progression in terms of your offense to, to kind of keep people who are, weren't happy with the way last year looked from, from getting even angrier. And Kelly, one of the things that you're alluding to there was some of the quarterback rotation that actively went on throughout at least the early parts of the season. I mean, a lot of fans thought Lucas Johnson was going to be the starter, you know, play number one at Clemson, it ended up being Tobias Oliver. And then at some point, like on the third down somewhere, Lucas Johnson comes in and throws an incomplete pass. And then after that, James Graham comes in. And it was, I mean, it was literally rotating the quarterbacks in, you know, in between first downs. And I mean, it was, and, and it started, I think, frustrate some people that it felt like they couldn't build consistency. And then about midway through the year is when they seemed like they just said, you know what, we're going to go with James Graham and that's going to be it. And he, he played the rest of the year. He had his ups and his downs. 
you know, good moments, bad moments. Um, and so coming into now this year, I think a lot of the national media would just sit back and assume, okay, well, they, they went with Graham last year. They're going to stay with him this year. But those close to this program know that it is not nearly that cut and dry. And it may may well not be Graham as the guy at all come kickoff in Tallahassee here in a week or so. Yeah, I mean, if I were a betting man today, and, you know, we're still 10-plus days out of kickoff here or 10 days, I would say I would bet on one of the two true freshmen playing uh, the first snap, whether it's Tucker Gleason or Jeff Sims, they both play really well in the preseason. I think Jordan Yates um, is perfectly capable of starting. He reminds me of, for Tech fans, a little bit of like a Matthew Jordan, Tim Byerly kind of guy. I don't know that – Jordan's going to be the starter, but he's a guy who can come in and win a game for you off the bench. He's very solid. Um, I don't, you know, I'm curious about his arm strength and on deep throws and that kind of thing. If he has enough of juice on the ball and he's also a shorter guy standing in the pocket, can he see the field well enough? And then James is a guy he can throw a deep ball, can run really well. He really struggles in intermediate pass game and it's not, a game even specific thing he just struggles in general seeing it and uh, he just has not played in this type of offense until last year so it'll be interesting to see you know what his development's been like they haven't exactly been heaping him with praise in terms of the the players and even the videos and stuff they you know clip and put out they're always of other guys like tucker or jeff or jordan throwing the football it's never james and just, I just get the vibe that he might be kind of the odd man out of those three quarterbacks, if anything. And I think you could, I think with the way the season's set up, that if they feel like Jeff or, or Tucker are the guys for the future, you play them now. Like, I don't think you have anything to lose trying those guys out. I talked to Dave Padno last week about this. You know, they're playing at Florida State in front of a limited crowd. That's a lot different than going into Death Valley last year and playing Clemson in a full house coming off a national championship. So you can be a little bit more uh, gambling in terms of who you want to play. And I just think the, the skill set of the guys they brought in better fits what they're trying to do too, to a large extent. So I think you, they have three solid options. I put James kind of out as the fourth guy. And I love James. I think he's a great young man. I've known him since he was in high school, but I just don't know that this is a fit for him as a quarterback and he's an interesting athlete. So I think there's things you can do with him. I, I it just I don't know that I've heard or seen or um, expect him to be the guy that they're going to trot out against Florida State. Kelly, how confident is Jeff Collins in this offensive line? I, I mean, it's light years different. I can just tell you from even in the spring watching them. Um, you have Zach Quinney back at left tackle. Uh, he's played his two years of starting under his belt, two different systems, but he really progressed. His body's gotten a lot bigger. He's gotten a lot stronger. Left guard, Jack DeFore's back. He started pretty much, you know, most of the last season there. He was supposed to play tackle. They moved him inside. He's looking, you know, really solid as a, a senior. Uh, at center, they've gone kind of with Mikey Minahan, was a guy who played guard last year. Um, Mikey's just very solid. And one of the problems they had last year at center was just, getting the snap down, getting the calls right, and all those sorts of things. And uh, they ended up playing a walk-on Will A most of the second half of the season there. And Mikey's kind of settled into the role. It looks like he's kind of figured things out. And then 
right guard, they brought in a, t- a transfer to Tennessee, Ryan Johnson. He's really played well. And then the guy on the side of him is a true freshman, Jordan Williams, who was in for spring ball. He enrolled early. He was really show- flashing in the spring to me, a guy that showed a lot of potential. As Brett Key joked, you know, there's a long way to go around that guy. He's six foot six and 300 plus pounds. Like just the pass rush around him is a, a real effort for a defensive guy. And that's a huge upgrade from, you know, what they're playing with last year, Jared Souther's there. So I think they've got a nice core. I think they've got, you know, Kenny Cooper, I talked about earlier is on the bench right now as a backup guard and center uh, as he's coming off his hip injury. You know, it's a guy that was an all ACC offensive lineman two years ago. So They've got a little more depth now. Charlie Clark's a guy that they have back who's played can play both tackle spots. They're in, I would say, a fifty percent better situation than they were a year ago in offensive line. Is it great yet? No, but I think it's going to be a lot better. And they're not going to have to cheat and play two tight ends like they did last year to to make up for the offensive line's um, inabilities or, or limitations. And, and Kelly, I remember you coming on here in our preview last year and basically saying that there were about five or six offensive linemen that the coaching staff was pretty comfortable playing at the time. So it was all going to hinge on was everyone, everyone able to stay healthy. And I think by like maybe week three, like three of those six guys were all hurt and, and a bunch yep. of them didn't come back. And it was like the whole thing fell apart just like immediately. So that's hopefully something we don't see a repeat of. No, I think they have probably nine guys right now that they feel maybe 10 that they would be comfortable playing in a game. I think they're a little bit thin at tackle after Charlie Clark. Uh, you're getting into playing a true freshman maybe or Austin Smith flexing out there. Um, who's a redshirt sophomore, hasn't played much. You know, at the guard, in the guard box, they got Kenny Cooper. You got Will Lay who played a lot last year at center. You have Mike May. They have Austin Smith who can play there a little bit. They have a uh, freshman named Paula Viala. Polo or whatever his name is. It's uh, for Paula. He, he's a, a good player. He's been a little dinged up apparently. But, you know, they've got bodies there. I think that um, they've got opportunities to, to make plays. And I think it's it would be hard to be worse than they were a year ago. So the bar set pretty low anyways, right? So <laughs> I think that you should definitely see improvement. I think, you know, if you don't, then – I think Brett Keys, you might find him hanging off the edge of uh, Bobby Dodd, staring down at the like the ground, thinking about jumping. If uh, if offensive line's not better this year, <laughs> the bar was That's that low. Huh? Yeah, yeah, the bar was that low. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, Brett loves all those guys, but they were they were designed to cut people at the line. Like, I mean, you you have a six foot, you know, two two hundred eighty pound offensive tackle that's not really going to cut it in what they're doing. Like, and they've reshaped that room. They've got a lot of guys have left. A lot of guys have had a couple guys medical out. Like they've reshaped that room physically. They now have the body types that you want for a more traditional pass blocking scheme than what, you know, Paul Johnson was running. You don't need a guy cutting a linebacker at the second level anymore. You need a guy that can hold the point of attack. And, and they have that now, I think. And, it should just get better from there. They have a lot of talent, like in that room, and I, I like the young players they've added into the program. So I'm going to try to make this segue as smoothly as possible, but bear with me for a second. So it, it's as as frustrating and, and ineffective as the offensive line was at times last year for various reasons. It's interesting that in spite of all that, 
you still had what was a reasonably electric performance all year from Jordan Mason, um, a guy who was able to run run for about 900 yards um, and behind an offensive line that wasn't necessarily the best at protecting or, or blocking for him and doing all that on a bum shoulder. I, I think the thought here, Kelly, is that he and I mean, all the other guys in that running back room, there is a lot of potential on this team moving forward from from a skill talent perspective. Well, you know, my favorite Jordan Mason stat is Jordan Mason had an injured, injured shoulder last year. He ran for almost 900 yards, and I think it was 775 of them were after contact. Um, <laughs> like 85%, 90% of his runs were yards after contact. I mean, that's, Ridiculous. that sort of illustrates how different the things were, you know, from from what he was doing the year before and, and where the offensive line was in the first year under Coach Collins. I mean, poor guy ran for his life and he, you know, came out on third downs and stuff too because he couldn't pass block because of his shoulder. So, uh, you know, I think they have a lot of weapons there. I think JP's a guy I expect to play on Sundays. I think he's, I think people are sleeping on him. I think he's got a chance to run for a thousand yards this year and be a really dominant back in the ACC, especially with an improved offensive line. And more importantly, too, a passing game, an intermediate passing game, a real passing threat on, on early downs, which they didn't have except for home run balls, right? So that's going to back off linebackers. It's going to give them more space to work. And then you look at, you know, Jameer Gibbs is a true freshman. They're going to bring him in. He's going to play a lot. He, he might start in a two-back set with them with Jordan Mason for all we know, because he can flex out and play slot and do a lot of things. They have Jemias Griffin and Dante Smith too, who are both very solid backs that would play at a lot of schools. And then they got a guy, Bruce Jordan Swilling, who was a recruited by Alabama and LSU and all these places as a running back. He moved from linebacker to running back. Bruce probably isn't going to play much, but Bruce would start at Virginia and a lot of other schools in ACC right now. So uh, they got a lot of depth in that room. They got a lot of talent. I think that, that's maybe the spot they feel best about on offense, just in terms of what they have now. And, you know, they move to either they can move guys around. They have guys with different skill sets. They have like a package for Tony Amerson, who's like a, almost like a fullback. So they got a lot of different things they can do at the running back position. And it all kind of begins with Jordan Mason, who's the, the kind of workhorse guy that they can kind of, uh, you know, let him plow the holes down the field. And then, let some other guys like Gibbs and do some of the flashy things, but Mason's going to get his yards and he's going to be the, the kind of primary back for this team. Feels like defensively last year, they did really all they could just given how bad and like really just inept the offense was at times. And despite it all, it, it felt like as the season went along, the defense still just kind of continuously took small steps forward and continued to improve. What do you think the expectations are this year, Kelly, just as a whole defensively um, for for Jeff Collins' unit? Because, look, like his defenses were really good at Temple. The expectation coming into Georgia Tech was the defense would be pretty good. And then right off the bat, it showed some signs, even in spite of just an absolutely abysmal offense last year. Yeah, you know, it's funny. My favorite stat from last year is, Defense played 120, I think it was, more snaps than they did the previous season. And that was in one fewer game than they played the previous year. So, like, they played almost a game and a half more snaps last year because they were so bad on offense, on defense. Uh, They were just on the field a lot. Like, 
and it's hard to play when you get like that. Guys get tight, man. I've watched this forever at different schools, and you see that when your offense sucks, the defense, it's really hard to, to stay on the field, stay motivated, keep your energy up, make plays. And they had a lot of kids, too. They played a ton of fre- freshmen. Uh, you know, Chico Bennett played a huge role, Jordan Dominic. Uh, you know, Zamari Walton playing for the first time at corner. Uh, you know, they mixed in guys like Quiz Jackson, Demetrius Knight, linebacker who had never played. Um, Wanya Thomas had never really played a real snap, and he ended up being one of the best safeties in the ACC last year statistically. So I think the defense, uh, you know, is going to make a step up. big thing there is they need to get pressure up in the front. I think Antonius Clayton, the, their transfer from Florida, defensive end, he's a five technique. He can get after the quarterback, command a double team, and set an edge. That's something he really struggled with last year is setting the edge for the defensive linebackers and the safeties to come clean up. But the, the, the secondary to me is as good as most of the teams, you know, shy of maybe Clemson in the league. They have guys who are going to play in the NFL. You know, Wanya Thomas, Trey Carpenter, are NFL-level talents in my mind. So even the guys who aren't playing yet, like the Derek Allen, the transfer from Notre Dame, or Avery Shoel, or Jalen King, uh, Wesley Walker, like they got guys who would start at a lot of other schools in the league. And I think they're going to be able to rotate guys and, and have some depth there. And if the corners play pretty well, they can put them on an Island. It allows the defense to get more aggressive and you get back to what coach Collins is known for, right? He's known for being a guy who likes to create chaos on defense and get after quarterbacks and bring exotic blitzes. And they had some success last year with that stuff, but they oftentimes had to get vanilla just to try to, get off the field and not give up plays because they just couldn't get into a shootout. They couldn't score more than, you know, two touchdowns in a game offensively. So you couldn't really risk playing so much man-to-man playing with no help over the top and blitzing safeties or whatever it is they want to do. I think those things will, will balance out as the offense looks better. And it's, you know, you can't, it's like trying to drive a car with a flat tire, right? You're going to, it's not going to drive right with one flat tire when you don't have all of your, if you don't have a competent offense and a competent defense and special teams, the the car just isn't going to run right, and you're going to end up, you know, crashing into a ditch. And that's kind of what happened to them last year. I, I will say, you know, when you're talking about some of the NFL level guys on this defense, it's I, I'll just throw in here that I, I've been a little bit tickled as a guy who I appreciated, you know, Paul Johnson in that entire era and, and what he was able to do and his staff and. How much, I, I guess, when, when the new staff came in and there was this assumption, I guess, between everybody's like, well, these guys haven't recruited well for years. And I don't know how they're going to possibly live with this roster is like there's been also some rumors of kind of stuff trickling out of like they were actually kind of impressed with some of the skill talent, you know, the backs and receivers on offense and then the secondary on defense. Like this team was not as nearly as devoid of talent, especially at some of those positions, as a lot of people wanted to think that they were. No, really the, the bulk of their issues were offensive line because it was just difficult to recruit for Paul's system high-caliber guys, right? You could get guys, you get guys specific for the system, but you weren't, there weren't a ton of Shaq Masons walking through the door, right? Guys who were going to be an NFL offensive lineman, so that, that caused problems. And then the defensive line thing has been an issue forever, Georgia Tech. And it's a lesson Jeff Collins and his staff have learned a little bit too. They're going to have to develop guys. You aren't going to sign – five-star, four-star talent necessarily out of high school super easily at Georgia Tech. It takes a lot of work to, to get those guys 
when you're battling against Auburn and Clemson and Georgia and Florida and whoever else, Notre Dame, whatever school you want to throw into that mix, they all come down here and try to pick out the defensive linemen. So those things were kind of devoid. The secondary was incredibly talented. They had signed, that's where all the star caliber guys were. You know, they had four star guys and Trey Swilling at corner. Wanya Thomas should have been one. Uh, Jalen King. Um, you know, there was just a bunch of them. And then they added guys like Derek Allen and Spider Sims, and they they kind of helped re-up it. And then they signed Miles Brooks this Miles Brooks this past year. They've had a lot of talent. They've done a nice job there, of kind of mixing what they had and what they did, what they needed. And then you mentioned receiver. Yeah, they had some really talented guys. You know, Paul Johnson put a lot of receivers in the NFL despite his system. You know, one of them's playing tight end uh, right now, and Darren Waller is like a a really amazing player. He had Baby Thomas. He had DeAndre Smelter, uh, Stephen Hill. So they've been they recruit these big body wide receivers, and those guys have done pretty well. And now Jeff and his staff have been able to go in and find slot guys like a Marion Brown to kind of mix in and add that speed element to the game. And they added Marquez Ezard, who gives them a little bit of a kind of both uh, at that receiver position. So I think you're right. Like there was, you know, there was a core of 40 or 50 guys that were pretty talented that you could build a roster around the issue that Jeff and them, I think had was on the fringes of those roster. There were guys that just didn't fit because they were, you know, the position didn't translate over. Maybe they were slot backs and they're just too small to play and their hands aren't good enough to play receiver or, you know, there was the offensive line pieces that just kind of didn't fit very well just because of the techniques and their physical limitations. So I think a lot of those guys have left or, graduated or medical or whatever they're through attrition they've been able to clean a lot of that up and the roster's starting to look pretty good and it's a really you know dominant mix towards guys that paul uh were left over from paul johnson but they've been able to find the spots they need like quarterback to, to find fresh talent and kind of up the competition at those spots as well Kelly, I did have one more question I wanted to hit on on the defense. This one actually came from one of our listeners. Mr. Keith Derrick was asking um, a couple of players in particular we wanted to talk about here because it's it's a really interesting scenario. Is you have the, Again, I mentioned that Tobias Oliver started at quarterback against Clemson last year, eventually moved to wide receiver during the year, and now I guess in the offseason has moved to cornerback. Um, and, and then Jerry Howard also is one of the uh, running backs the last couple of years. He's now playing linebacker. It's it's kind of late, especially for Howard in his career, to be making a change from offense to defense. But correct me if I'm wrong, but from my understanding, for both of these guys, the move to the other side of the ball has gone pretty reasonably well. Yeah, so with Jerry, he was just in a situation where it was going to be tough to get playing time. I talked about sort of that depth at running back, and he was a guy that was more of a uh, true feedback fullback, you know, north-south runner, right? like a pound you between the eyes guy and the, the offense required a little more finesse pass catching um, just sort of X factors with speed. Like he just didn't, I think check enough of those boxes to, to be a starter level guy. And when they added Gibbs and that really kind of looked like it was going to take away even more from the snaps. I think they saw an opportunity for him, like what Nate Cottrell is trying to do right now, who played that flex position last year for them on offense they got a chance to make it in the NFL as a special teams guy, and that's sort of what they're selling Jerry, that he can play this year at linebacker, get linebacker film, have special teams film. He can play running back. He can be a fullback. 
for teams as well, but make his bones playing special teams. And that Jerry's talked about this, that that is maybe his best avenue to get to the NFL is, is, is a guy that's kind of an all-purpose player. That's the guy maybe at the end of your roster in the NFL. But he's a guy who has a lot of value because of what he could do uh, and how many different spots he can fill in for you at. With uh, Tobias, Tobias just felt like they moved him to receiver during the season last year. And he was not really comfortable not touching the ball and not impacting the game. So, you know, he would get two touches a game or two targets or whatever it was. It was just hard to kind of work him into the offense, um, with the, especially when you have a Marion Brown, who's one of the top slot receivers in the ACC or if not the country. So with Tobias, they looked at his footwork. They, you know, Coach Collins has coached a lot of guys that played at the next level, and he thought he had – uh, corner abilities like his hip, hip, his hips, his footwork, all of those things kind of lend itself to it. And then Tobias liked the idea of every single play at corner is a significant matchup, right? You're either being blocked or you're covering a guy downfield. So every single play, you can impact the game at that position by just doing your job. And it's a one-on-one challenge. And he really liked it that, that and kind of bought into that concept of this is, you know, my my ability to change change every single play I'm out in the field for is at corner. And I think you will see Tobias start at Florida State at corner opposite of Trey Swilling. Uh, he's, he looked amazing to me in the spring for a guy who'd only spent a few weeks there. And then apparently he's just built upon that in the fall from everything that his teammates and coaches are saying. So Tobias is a guy who I think, you know, maybe this year, maybe next year has played himself into maybe a draftable cornerback if he can show that on the field and show those abilities. And he already has natural ball skills and all the things you like at a corner. So to me, that is a huge plus for them that they were able to find an older big bodied corner. Cause he's not a small guy. He can run and be physically tackles well enough. And I think it's gonna be really interesting to see him. And I think he's going to turn some heads this year. All right, Kelly. Presley Harvin appreciation monologue time. Go. Mm-hmm. You know, Presley, uh, he was maybe their most effective offensive weapon last year in terms of flipping <laughs> no, the field. No. And, and, and uh, you know, and also the, the touchdown he threw. Uh, Led the team in passer rating. He did. And he's just a great guy. He's uh, such a little character and, a fun guy from South Carolina is just very into hunting. Like I have never met a specialist that is like, is kind of geeked out about that stuff as Presley is. He's very into like talking about his routines and what he does and his workouts and like, uh, you know, talking to different specialists and all of those different things. The way he's kind of gone about things has been very impressive. And I've, I've been around a lot of guys punting. I've never heard a ball like the one that he strikes when he hits it right. Like it's just the way the the foof of the ball is just something else. I, I love Presley, man. He is a hoot to talk to. And, uh, you know, hopefully he has a good year this year. I, you know, it's been a shame that he has not been in that top half of the punters in the ACC getting like some rec- national recognition, but he should. He's He's very good at what he does. He punted. 80-something times last year, which was insane, and did a really good job, you know, of handling uh, triple the workload of what he was used to in the prior scheme. Uh, and, Kelly, I'm going to let you make the decision here. 
Is there any other aspect of Georgia Tech special teams that's worth hitting on here, or should we just spare everyone that torture? I mean, they've got, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, maybe five guys competing for the kicking job right now. Kickoff uh, is also that they got a, a graduate transfer punter from UCLA who might be the kickoff guy, Austin Kent. Uh, I would, he came to a practice in the spring, and I thought he was like some NFL guy. Like, he looked <laughs> like he was in his 30s. I, like, I was like, who, uh, like, asked somebody kind of on the sly who he was. They're like, oh, he's a kid from UCLA. He's a, a, a transfer. I was like, huh? Did he, like, go to the Army or something? Like, it, he just is an older-looking dude. Uh, to me, he's, like, the guy I'm kind of interested to see. Like, I, when we were out there in the spring, they had one kicker that was healthy and Cliff Gandis, who was really a punter. So, you know, poor guy was trying, but, like, that's not really his bag at the time. Uh, maybe that's changed. But it was, uh, you know, it wasn't the greatest kicking situation in the world. The bar there is set also – uh, you know, if you talk about the quarterback play, the only thing that I thought was worse last year was the kicking. And um, the bar set very low, so I think it would be hard to do worse than they did kicking last year. So uh, I think, you know, anything that's better than that would be a nice, pleasant surprise for fans. All right, Kelly, the schedule. So a little bit different this year playing 10 ACC games. But, hey, at least Georgia Tech kept the non-conference game, right? <laughs> I mean, the schedule's, uh, you know, they, they managed to get out of playing Virginia Tech and North Carolina. Um, but they got to go back to Miami again, which is literally my least favorite road trip in the ACC. Um, just, uh, you would think it'd be nice to go to Miami, but um, between their fans, the dump where the stadium's located, the mediocrity of the stadium and the poor press area and accommodations there. It's, it's the worst trip. Um, I will say I've not been to Syracuse or Boston College yet. Both of those are road games this year. Uh, the only time Georgia Tech's played at Boston College in the decade plus I've covered them was uh, the game that ended up being moved to Ireland. And then they hadn't played Syracuse on the road yet since they joined the league. Um, you know, it's a weird schedule playing Notre Dame again. You know, they play three ranked teams. They play at Florida State off the rip. Uh, you play Central Florida week two. You play, you know, against a mediocre Syracuse team. But then you play Louisville, who's, you know, a team kind of moving up. And you lose Virginia, who I think is a team moving down right now. So, uh, you know, it's, it's hard. The schedule's hard. You know, you lose UGA. So, you know, that's a plus, I guess, in terms of just the, the difficulty of the schedule. But it's just weird. I don't know what to think. You know, the end of the season plan at NC State, really, is that, like, they couldn't have come up with something a little better than that. Like, couldn't they have played Clemson last week or something? Like, I just don't get the schedule. The schedule's super weird to me. I don't quite understand how it was made. And I enjoy that a lot of the teams just got royally screwed. I think Florida State has a bye after the Georgia Tech game this year. Like, so they have a bye after week one. Uh, I think Pitt was, was scheduled to be off the last week, maybe. So, you know, the 15-team model wasn't exactly set up for this kind of scheduling model. And um, I, I I don't like this, but it's better than no football, you know? Oh, I'll give you that 100%. Um, 
you know, I, I look at this schedule from a record standpoint, Kelly, and it's for, for as many people as are picking Georgia Tech to be, you know, 14th or 15th out of a 15 team league, like it's weird looking at this and also thinking, I mean, there is there is a good amount of opportunity here. There, there's I, I would say there's at least five of these games that I could make a case for why they are winnable games. I, I don't know if you feel the same way yeah. here. No, I'm with you. I think there are five. The, the issue is there's no gimmicks, right? So, like, you look mm-hmm. at the schedule, there's five games, maybe six, that are are very much, in my mind, not um, games where Tech should be a touchdown plus dog. I think the opening game, to me, is kind of up in the air. I think that you have no idea what's going on in Florida State. They seem to have a lot of issues. I think you look at the Syracuse game, they were really terrible most of last year. Uh, the Boston College has got a whole new system, and they lost a lot of key production off that team. Uh, you know, um, I would say Miami and Duke and NC State are all games that are, to me, not necessarily, uh, you know, you know, an L in my mind when I look at the schedule for Georgia Tech. And, you know, the tough games are the Central Florida game, the Clemson game, and Notre Dame, the three, but they're all at home, so there's something there. You got to look forward to. They're playing Pitt at home, who they played better in Atlanta than at Pitt. And you know, it'll be interesting to see. Kind of like I, to me, I think the teams that are probably the worst in the ACC are probably going to be Boston College and Duke. I don't think it's Georgia Tech, but you know, the schedule may determine some of that too. Like I think that um, they're not getting a lot of respect in terms of the preseason, and I think a lot of it's just off how bad they look. And, and I guess, too, Kelly, like from a offensive standpoint, right, like maybe quarterback play a more competent running game. Like I'm talking about, like actually gaining yards beyond the line of scrimmage and not getting <laughs> not getting, you know, not having like 800 yards after contact or whatever the, the number you threw out there was. That was absurd. Um, maybe that makes people feel a little bit better about how Georgia Tech looks against the, against the schedule, because I agree with both of you, like. At Florida State, I think, is a little bit closer than it might look on paper. Like, at Syracuse, I think, is a winnable game. At BC, who knows what they'll be. New head coach, new quarterback. Uh, The Duke game, obviously, you know, Duke is going to be pretty bad, in my opinion. NC State, too. Like, there are winnable games on this schedule if there's even a little bit of improvement for Georgia Tech. Yeah, I mean, last year, think about this. They won... They really could have won five games last year. They had two games that kind of threw away. Um, really, the Temple game kind of went sideways on them because of a couple of fumbles, actually, uh, in the end zone, going into the end zone to score in a bad pick. And then they really should have beat um, uh, the Citadel as well. So you could have been at five and you know five and seven or whatever last year. And but I mean, they were they did all of that right. They were 127th in total offense in the country, with only Rutgers worse than them in the P5. So like, you know, 127 out of 130 last year. There's a lot of room for improvement, right, in that in that range. So if you could jump up to you know 80, maybe that's five wins, four wins, you know, whatever it is. And it'll be interesting to see if there's even a bowl structure or what the hell is going on there. I can't imagine they're going to play bowl games because they just lose money, but uh, maybe some of them will play. I don't know. Like this whole thing's just weird. I think it's weird. The season goes to December 5th and 
whatever. You know, to me, like, I just look at this and I, you know, could they win two games? Yeah. Could they win five? Sure. I, I don't have like a real strong feeling one way or the other. And I don't think there's so many unknowns too in all this. Like, we don't know, like, Trevor Lawrence could get COVID tomorrow and be out for a month. Like, you just don't know. God willing, don't let that happen to the guy. But, um, <laughs> you know, but you know what I'm saying? Like, anything can change, especially with the, the virus stuff. Like, you have guys opt out. Like, you can have all, you know, you saw that today with UJ losing Jamie Newman, the former Wake Forest quarterback. Like, you, you just don't know, like, what's going to happen between now and the time you play a game. So, uh, I think there's going to be a this is going to be a weird season and it's set up well for a guy like Jeff Collins that has that ATL philosophy above the line where you play so many guys already. They're, you know, they like to play 50 guys in the game. Um, this is an opportunity that, that kind of suits itself for that. So if you have guys get sick or whatever or injured, they're a little bit better in better shape to handle that than maybe some other programs. So, Kelly, with all that being said about all the, the unknown and all the range there, I, I have to ask, do you have an official record prediction here? Three to four wins is, is my realistic read on it. Um, I think they'll upset somebody. I think they'll win some of those toss-up games. And I think they'll probably lose some of those toss-up games and maybe lose one they're supposed to. So, you know, between three and four wins, I think that's nice progress in a – harder schedule than they played last year and i think if they can use the games the right way to to prepare themselves for the future then we'll see you know but again anything can happen you know central florida's had 10 guys opt out um including the starting defensive tackle the backup quarterback starting corner a bunch of backup linemen like those things may pile up on some teams here and you could see, you know, them getting into the sixth win. Do I think they're going to win the conference? No. Do I think they're going to win, finish in the top four? No. But I think this is a year where you're going to see progress. I just don't know how much it's going to reflect the record just because of having to play Clemson and Notre Dame and even having to, you know, going to Miami again or going to be pissed to play them again and Pitt like, and Louisville. Like, those are you know, tough games. And uh, I think that this is a, a year that's just going to be a weird year. I wouldn't be surprised if the teams that end up in the playoff are a little bit different than maybe the ones we even all expect going into this season. Like maybe a Clemson slides and you see a North Carolina or someone, Notre Dame, God forbid, win the conference. Um, just because that would be insufferable in terms of to deal with their fan base. But, you know, you just look at this. It's, it's a weird season. I fully expect the way 2020 has played out, you know, this is the year that like Baylor or somebody wins it, you know, just some weird happenstance in college football. Uh, that's the kind of thing that, that would not surprise me this year. And, but, it, you know, maybe Georgia Tech wins six games. And if they do, Jeff Collins is coach of the year, in my opinion, unless like something drastic happens, like Pat Narduzzi wins the ACC or something. Well, when you talk about some of these weird things happening to teams, it's probably where I also mentioned that, Week three, you play a Syracuse team that's missed multiple practices lately because their players were not convinced at the uh, university's <laughs> testing procedures, you know. So it's – Lord knows where that might go from here. So um, – but anyway, so so yeah, so three and eight, four and seven, I guess, is the, the prediction there. If we do play all 11 games, which, again, God willing, we do, but 
but who's to say? Uh, Mike, that's all I had for Kelly. Did you have anything else before we let him go? No, I, I think we're good. Kelly, thanks so much for joining us once again. Um, we love having you on. You're now a regular, buddy. <laughs> oh, I appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Yeah, and you want to tell the people where they can find your stuff here real quick? Sure. Uh, you can check me out on Twitter at Kelly underscore Quinlan. That's K-L-L-Y underscore Q-U-I-N-L-A-N. At jacketsonline.com, part of the rivals.com network. And we are the premier site for Georgia Tech football, basketball, and recruiting news. Um, and even a little bit of baseball talk and maybe some non-ref sports here and there. So we have the largest community of tech fans uh, in the world. And we're always looking for new people to come join us and, and enjoy the tech talk. And I, I completely agree. And I tell people all the time is if, if you care enough, if you're a Georgia Tech fan and you care enough about college football to be listening to this podcast and commenting on on blogs elsewhere, then you probably care enough to where, uh, you know, $100 a year is well worth your money to, to, to join in on that Rivals community. Uh, it is a, is a great site that you run. So uh, really appreciate kind of what you've done for the community and, and really appreciate your time here tonight. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, no problem. All right, Mike, that was Kelly Quinlan, once again, of JacketsOnline.com on the Rivals Network, uh, at Kelly underscore Quinlan on Twitter. Uh, again, as about as knowledgeable as anybody that I know regarding the Georgia Tech football program. Um, he had a lot to say there. Did anything that he said, like, really surprise you here about this team going into year two under Collins? Not a whole lot surprised me. I figured Jeff Collins would feel better about the offensive line. I felt like he would probably be feeling a little bit better about quarterback uh, defensively. I felt like they were good enough to stay competitive last year. If the offense just showed everybody something, which it wasn't able to do and who's to say it'll, you know, look better this year. But if it does, I think the defense will, I mean, it certainly won't get any worse, you know, like I think the, the defense should stay about the same as it was last year, or maybe get a little bit better. And as he mentioned, there's, you know, a couple guys on that side of the football um, from an NFL talent perspective that, you know, Georgia Tech fans should be excited about. Uh, really, what stuck out to me was the discussion about Presley Harvin and the fact that he's really into punting. <laughs> I, I found that hysterical. <laughs> like You love was, that. I love that. Like the way he was describing that absolutely killed me. And um, Joey, actually, a little inside baseball here behind the scenes. Um, I texted you while Kelly was talking about how much Presley Harvin was into punting. I was like, oh boy, he has come to the right place. <laughs> Harvin has certainly. Yes. Um, yes. <laughs> yes. As Kelly mentioned, he, he was, you know, as good of a punter as he is, you know, and he, let's, let's call him. He was, uh, he was kind of like the Steph Curry of punting last year. He, you know, he, he's a really good punter, but he also kind of turned into a volume punter there for a year. So the, the numbers on Presley Harvin looked really good. Um, One of the best and, offensive you know, players that they had, as he mentioned. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, yeah, I figured this team, especially, I mean, defensively, it, it was really noteworthy to me how much this team took a, a clear step forward last year in a year where they were completely outmanned on the defensive line and they were getting effectively zero help from the offense on the other side. I mean, they were playing a ton of plays. You could see them run out of gas towards the end of the year. And yet there were still some really clear improvements over previous years. And so getting everybody back for another year, hopefully adding a couple of key pieces, like you mentioned, Antonius Clayton, some of those guys, Derek Allen, 
and having an offense that is somewhat functional. Like I, even if you're only around, you know, the 25th percentile, like that's better than what you were last year. Like this defense could have a, a pretty solid year, even against some pretty good competition. So I, I'm excited to see that. Uh, Mike, let's let's take a look at the schedule here real quick. And as we mentioned with Kelly, like there are, there's not any gimme games. Like I, I would just say right now, it's on the table that Georgia Tech goes 0 and 11 against the schedule. Like th- there's not a single game that I say that they can't lose. Um, there are a few games I think they can't win, but there's plenty of them that I would say at least qualify as toss-ups. Um, that, that Georgia Tech may not be favored, but they'll be a small underdog and you know they'll have a chance. And, and it's interesting too playing Duke and at NC State at the end of the year. You know, as you've had several games to develop. One of the things that I, I wanted to mention too, we've already as we record this on the evening of Wednesday, September the twelfth. The Florida State game, we already have a line on that, and I believe Florida State in Tallahassee is something like an 11, 11.5 point favorite in that game. I'm not going to say that Georgia Tech's going to go in there and win because I think that would not really be a, a, a fair prediction necessarily, but I mean, I, I don't have a lot of reason at this point in time to say that Florida State is going to definitively be 11.5 points better than Georgia Tech in week one under a new staff, as they haven't always you know, had the best chance to practice this offseason, th- there's been a lot of unrest in that locker room as it relates to the coaching staff. I mean, Florida State's got a, a, a bunch of problems on their hands right now, and not not all of them even just on the field. Like, that's a winnable game. Again, Syracuse has had its tumultuous, you know, recent offseason, and there's a lot of questions about them. Boston College, again, that's on the road, but that's a team in year one under a new coach. As Kelly mentioned, Duke and NC State to end the year. I mean, there are winnable games here. And I have to think that Georgia Tech's going to win at least one or two of those. But um, it, it, it's it definitely another one of those seasons, Mike, that you might say they could be a much better team, but you might not see it in the record. I would agree. Uh, first, that Florida State game that you mentioned, like, I'm pretty sure Florida State's players don't even like Norvell. um yeah and and that's and and i don't i don't know the ins and outs of the program but just as from the outside looking in and seeing the reports and who's to say they even like norvell like i'm not sure that they do anyway um incidents of, of like player outrage and protest and such against norvell and the coaching staff already which not a good sign not a great start. Um, the only person that might be a little bit more embattled than Norvell or Gary Patterson, I guess at this point, would be Steve Adazio at Colorado State. Um, mm-hmm. But, not you great. know, not great. Yeah, I'm I'm with you on Georgia Tech. Like, I think Georgia Tech will be better. I don't think it'll show up in the record. Um, I think the offense will look better. I think it'll will at least have an idea of what they're trying to do, which sounds hilarious but like last year we really didn't know what they were trying to do like it was in fits and starts it would be like different formations rotating quarterbacks um mason was positive yeah different game plans week to week i mean it was yeah i mean the the only positive was the running game and even that wasn't great but it was like passable considering how bad the offensive line was so Mm -hmm. I, i think it'll look better offensively i think the defense will be fine uh, Presley Harvin's one of the best punters in the conference, uh, but the kicking game's not very good for Georgia Tech right now. 
So I, yeah, they'll be better because they couldn't be much worse offensively. So it should just naturally look better on the field. But from a record standpoint, this is a really tough schedule. Um, and there are some winnable games. They're also pretty much all losable. And mm-hmm. I think Georgia Tech gets a few. I, I'm going to go with three and eight. And that might be on the high end. It might be like more like two and nine. But I'm going to be a little bit more optimistic and say three and eight. I think anything more than that would be a fantastic season against this schedule. And just given kind of what we saw at Georgia Tech last year. Uh, is is what, what are you considering UCF, the out-of-conference game? Big L. I'm All considering right, so you're that saying three, So three and seven in conference in the 10 games. And three then, and seven in conference. And yeah, I think all their wins come in conference and I think they lose to UCF. I, I, I think so too. That's it, it. That's, that's one of the frustrating things looking at this schedule versus all the other ACC teams this year is everybody gets the plus one game. And I'm pretty sure the conference is going to go like 14 and one. And this is going to be the loss. Like you had the chance to schedule what, you know, maybe should be a win. And instead, team like great real fun um yeah i i look at this i i'm i'm with you i think three and seven is where i go on the on the in conference record um and and i'm also with you thinking that that might be a little bit optimistic Uh, as we mentioned i i think games that you have a shot in in some shape or form i would say at florida state at syracuse at Boston College, Duke, and at NC State. So it sucks that four of those are on the road to begin with. Um, and, and really, the shot at Florida State is purely based on what I don't know about Florida State right now as opposed to what I do know about Georgia Tech. Um, the other game, Mike, so I really don't like your chances, even against even off a of bye week against Louisville at home. I, I don't like that. I don't like Clemson, uh, obviously. I don't like Notre Dame, even at home. Um I, I don't like going to Miami for a second straight year, not knowing what they might be. A lot of these games I, I'm not feeling great about. But one of the games that I do want to point out, Mike, that I think is a really interesting opportunity that Georgia Tech might be able to steal one, Saturday, November 14th at home against Pittsburgh. Yep. And I say that because Georgia Tech coming off a bye, Pittsburgh coming off a road trip to Florida State the week before. So it it might be kind of an opportunistic, you know, opportunity here for opportunistic opportunity. Good job, Joey. Um, (laughs) English is good. English be good. Yeah. Yeah. An opportunistic spot for Georgia Tech will say, you know, again, coming off a bye week and a a pit team that's going to have a second straight road trip and and a lengthy road trip at that uh, coming from Pittsburgh. So um, that's one to maybe kind of keep an eye on that you might be able to see something go a little sideways and you steal one from Pitt, which again, Kelly was mentioning probably going to upset somebody that might be a prime candidate. That would be the one. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And I think that's a good call. Um, again, coming off the bye week, Pitt's got a road game the week before. I, I agree. Like if there's one game, I think that they could pull an upset in, it would be that one. Um, even more so I would say than at Florida state in the opener. Like I, I get it from like the standpoint of Florida state's new coach, you know, new, new scheme week one, let's surprise them. But like from a tap, like a pure talent standpoint right now, like even with Florida state kind of taking a step back in recent years, like Florida state from an athlete standpoint 
still has more than Pitt does, right? Mm-hmm. Now, from a from a team perspective, like I like Pitt's team a lot more just because they played together and there's continuity there, and um, Narduzzi's been there a while. But like from a pure talent standpoint, like Florida State's still got athletes that Pittsburgh just doesn't have. Um, mm-hmm. So I think Georgia Tech actually matches up better, a little bit better against Pittsburgh. But with that being said, that doesn't mean they can't steal it against Florida State. I mean, Georgia Tech had no business beating Miami last year, and they did it. Like, this isn't out of the realm of possibility just because the team's a lot more athletic than you are that you can't win the game. Um, but I, I think they match up better with Pittsburgh. And Pittsburgh should be pretty good. That's a game they should lose, Georgia Tech, right? They should lose that game to Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh should be about a touchdown favorite in that game. But with all that being said, like, you do get it at home. You're coming off a bye. Pitt's got a, a body blow game the week before against Florida State because the flip side of this is that Florida State could actually be pretty good. And now Pitt has to see them at the beginning of November, like seven or eight games in. So mm-hmm. that's the flip side of this. Like Florida State could be like mediocre. They could be bad. They could also be really good. And you might be getting them the week before you have to play Georgia Tech. Um, yep. So I'm, I'm with you. If, there, if there's one upset game, that might be it. And Florida State's a team that I could totally see looking like a bit of a mess week one, week two, and then looking really, really good week nine, week ten. I, you yeah. know, I, I really believe in that coaching staff that they hired, and, and I think you're going to see results, even if you don't see them in that initial first couple of games. Um, Agree. The other game I, I will point out, Mike, that just, again, not, not really relative to what we do know about Georgia Tech, but what we don't know about them, the following week, the Saturday before Thanksgiving – you go to Miami. We think we have a good idea of what Miami is going to be at that point in the year, but that's also about the same weekend last year that they lost to FIU. So like, I'm just saying that if Miami doesn't make the strides that we think that they're going to make, they could be in the middle of a late, late season implosion again. And you might have a better shot at that than we think that you do right now on August or it's September now, I guess, but you know, (laughs) then we think you do before the season starts. So that's another one that you know, when the time comes, maybe we're feeling a little bit better about that than we do now. Manny Diaz losing to Georgia Tech at home in November in year two. Fireable offense, Joey. Fireable offense. I would never, ever let Cam forget about that. Never, ever. Cam Cam will be taking Manny Diaz to the airport to fly his ass so far away. <laughs> <laughs> he will be leading the parade getting Manny Diaz out of town if they find a way to lose that game, which is not out oh, of the realm man. of possibility for Miami to do. Miami loves losing around Thanksgiving, you'll remember. Oh, they sure do. Oh, they sure do. Um, that would be it. That would actually be a really funny study to go do is look at the last like three or four years and see what Miami's record on Thanksgiving weekend has been because I know they lost to Duke last year. I know that – you know, that 10 and three season, they were 10 and 0 and lost to Pittsburgh on Thanksgiving weekend. So there's already a, a, a trend in my mind that, yeah, we, we should look into that at some point. But anyways, this is not about them. Um, I've got Georgia Tech at three and seven. You've got them, I think, at three and seven in the ACC. I, that's pretty much where Kelly had them, you know. But but again, this is a, a team that there are still a lot of unknowns about. And there's reason to think that they might not win any games. There's reason to think they might win five or six, like, there's, there's a lot of variability here, and, I, and I, I will say that I don't think that the 15th out of 15 team projections 
for Georgia Tech is necessarily accurate or fair. I think right. uh, record-wise, I, I do. I will say this. I do believe my prediction is that at least one team, if not more, in the ACC will end up with a worse conference record than Georgia Tech does. It might be Duke. That's your good. It might be NC that's your State. good news. It might that's be your Boston good news, Tech fans. <laughs> now, now, now for the bad news, we both picked them to go three and seven in conference. So, yeah, it's, yeah, it'll be another year of not going to a bowl game. So that's fine. Would it, but, would, would, it would, would it surprise you at all though? If I, it wouldn't surprise me, and and I I don't think it would surprise you either. If Georgia Tech went zero and ten in conference, lost the game to UCF, and looked competitive in like five or six conference games, and lost by like inside a score, it wouldn't surprise me at all. No. No. And, and I mean, to me, again, even as a fan and realizing where we are going into year two under Collins, like for me, so much of my success criteria on the year is getting that point differential on the year, which I think was like minus 150 or something last year. Cut it in half. Get it down to like, yeah, get it to like minus 70. You know, like you, you can live with that, you know, lose a little bit closer, maybe eke one or two games out. And and Kelly was right that there were there were a couple of games last year that they lost that they were just one or two plays away from winning. Like as, as abysmal as everybody wants to act like Georgia tech was, they weren't that far from winning five or six games. Like, so it's just, it's just to say that they're not, it's, it's not like you're starting with some mid-level FCS team and trying to get them to a bowl game, right? Like there, there was a little bit of something to work with is all I'm saying. Yeah, that's, I, I have you convinced, Mike. I can tell. They lost to the Citadel. I mean, I don't, what do you want me to tell you? I, I have but no they excuses also, for that. They, they, but they also beat my. But they also beat Miami. So like, I, yeah, I can see both sides of that argument, right? Like, I mean, yeah. they 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 lost by five to Virginia on the <laughs> yeah. road in Charlottesville. They were they closer lost. to beating Virginia and Charlottesville than Virginia Tech was. The, the Virginia Tech. I was literally just about to say that they lost by a closer <laughs> margin than Virginia Tech did. The following week, they got shut out at home by Virginia Tech. So, like, so I don't know what we're <laughs> what saying. But do? It's just on any given week, you know, they could they could jump up and beat somebody. I, that's, so that's it's it, I I don't know necessarily what to say, but again, there there's a there's probably just a lot of variability to be had here. Right, and that's the good really news the for Georgia message. I agree, and there's good the good news for Georgia Tech is they don't have to play the Citadel this year. Yeah, or or Georgia. One of these things, not like the other, but you know, I'll try to keep you yeah. from uh, making your making you spit your coffee out there. Sorry. Sorry. Yeah, that was. I tried to get a jab in at, at Georgia Tech, and then you throw the Georgia game in there, and I just died. I mean, yes. <laughs> thank, thank God we're talking about them in the same light. Uh, all right, three and seven for pretty much all around for Georgia Tech is the prediction. Uh, Mike, that's all I got on my Yellow Jackets. Anything else? No, nah, I think we're good. All right, let's go ahead and get out of here. We got uh, more previews to record. Uh, we are going to come back and do that in the meantime. Y'all can find us on Twitter. I am at FTRS Joey. He is at Mike McDaniel VT. Yeah, I did, I, I, yeah, I had to change it because Sports Illustrated fired me. So. Yeah, well, some of us make better decisions than others. You changing your Twitter handle, better decision than Sports Illustrated firing you. That's, you know, that's what it is. <laughs> there you go. I love that spin. Spin zone. <laughs> Uh, you can send us an email with questions, comments, concerns, the longest email address, known to man, basketball conference podcast at gmail.com. Nailed it. The email didn't change. So 
It has not. It has not. And and once again, thanks to Keith Derrick for sending in his email for the uh, the question we asked to Kelly Quinlan regarding Tobias Oliver and Jerry Howard. I thought that was a really good question and really interesting hearing from Kelly on that. Uh, you can find us on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher Breaker, the Overcast app, wherever fine podcasts are sold for free. And Mike, most importantly, they can find us in the Anchor app. Uh, you want to tell them where they can find us on the social medias? Facebook. Facebook.com slash basketball conference rate review. Find all of our podcasts there, Joey. Please do. Please do. Appreciate those who have. And once again, share us with your friends if you could, please. Uh, we, we love those who do. And uh, it, it really goes a long way to help us out here. Uh, yep. Mike, that's all I have. Anything else before we get out of here? Yeah. And if you need us to sponsor a car dealership or something, let us know. If you would like your car dealership to sponsor us, that would be even That's better. what I meant. I don't want to. Say, yeah, yes, that's that's right. It's more coffee, Mike. More coffee. More coffee. That's that's what I meant. Sorry, <laughs> I, I haven't even been drinking tonight. This is bad. This it's out of character. I should have started drinking. This is out of character for me. <laughs> that that was the mistake. Yeah, he's yes. a state dependent uh, memory. Yeah. Anyways, all right, Mike. Let's come back and preview some more teams. All right. Yep. All right. Well, until then, for Mr. Mike McDaniel, Mr. Kelly Quinlan, I am Joey Weaver. Thank you guys so much for listening. We will talk to you again soon. And until then, go ACC.